Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. If you would open your Bibles with me to John's Gospel, chapter 14, John's Gospel, chapter 14, as well as Ephesians, chapter 4. John's Gospel, chapter 14, Ephesians, chapter 4. Uh, I don't know about you, but with uh, that incredible opportunity to worship the Lord, I can't wait until Sunday as we celebrate the fact that he is risen. Amen? But today we take a moment to focus on something a little bit different. Christians around the world celebrate what is known as Good Friday. Pastor Zach's son came with some misunderstanding this morning to his mom and said, this is bad Friday. This is not Good Friday. But when you have a perspective of the cross in light of the resurrection, we say it's a great Friday. Amen? John chapter 14, would you take a look with me at verse 1? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so... I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way you know. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you tonight, and as we enter into a time to discuss something that is so familiar to so many, Would you use this night to freshen our hearts with the truth of the power of the cross? Would you give us wisdom and insight and special revelation? For it was today, over 2,000 years ago, that you gave up your spirit. No one took your life from you. You laid it down. And so as believers, we cherish this night. As believers, we stop in this moment because we want to remember you. Remember that you said, I go to prepare a place. The disciples had no idea what the going meant, that there would be a death on a cross, a burial in Joseph's tomb and a resurrection from the dead. So Lord, we invite your spirit here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. In John chapter 14, verse 2, Jesus said something so profound. I go to prepare a place for you. The disciples had no idea what that would mean. When he said, I go... They were definitely not thinking that he was going to a cross. But that's exactly where he was headed. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. 
Now, I need to let you know something. There's been a lot of activity around here over the last several months to get this place ready for you to be here tonight and for you to be here at Easter. I don't know if you know this, but when you've got a party for over 10,000 people, that's a lot of plastic cups of coffee. (laughs) And so it takes a lot of time. There's big things like a choir. They've been practicing for eight weeks. I can't wait for you to hear them sing. There's big things like a new cafe for us to be able to celebrate together the breaking of bread, pastries, and the offering of communion, coffee. (laughs) There's small things. Do you know how many rolls of toilet paper we use? Do you know that we have to order even tissues? Do you realize what it takes to host a party for 10,000 people? Now, we have met week after week, and the purpose of our meeting was we wanted you to know how glad we are you're here. So you didn't see us frantically trying to put songs together, which would make you nervous, You didn't see us wondering where the communion elements were. No, we've taken time to plan all these things. I'm going to tell you why you take time to prepare. Because you want people to feel loved. You want people to feel special. You want people to feel accepted. You want them to feel welcomed. Because that's the message of the cross. That you are loved that you are special, that you are accepted, and that you are welcomed into heaven by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's the message of the cross. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's doing the same thing in heaven for those of us who believe. He is taking time. Do you know what it takes to prepare a party for millions of Christians? And so Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. He would go ahead to get it all prepared. And classic Jesus, he was such an experiential teacher. Classic Jesus, he's using his current experience in the upper room to emphasize his point as he prepares for the going. And that going for him meant a cross. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. Luke's Gospel, chapter 22 And I want us to see one of the great stories of this season of time to understand how Jesus was using his experience to prepare a place for the disciples because he was about to tell them, I've also prepared a place for you in heaven. It's Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. I'm going to pick it up in verse 7. Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, once again, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, behold, when you've entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to them, Master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large room, a furnished upper room. There, make ready. So they went, and they found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. 
See, let me explain what has happened. Jesus has gone ahead of the disciples and he's spoken to a man, a believer, to prepare a room somewhere in Jerusalem. He was preparing for them. He was preparing for them because he was about to deliver a message that I have prepared a place for you in heaven. So he's using the experience of already preparing this upper room to teach the lesson that I've prepared a place for you. Much like we took the time to prepare a warm, welcoming place for you to come into this evening. Now he hasn't communicated this place to anyone. He hasn't told anyone where this upper room was, and I'm going to tell you why. Because Judas is still in the midst. And Judas has sold Jesus out. But Jesus doesn't want the disciples to know where this upper room is because he doesn't want Judas to sell them out and then all of the disciples would pay the same price that Jesus was about to pray. No, Jesus had taken the time to prepare. He doesn't want them to know and you never have to worry about Jesus protecting his own. He's always got your back. Amen? Amen. And so the Bible says in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, verse 7, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. Now I need to explain for those of you that are new students to the word of God, the Passover was a commemoration or a memorial of the day that God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. You see, what happened was God told Moses, I am going to allow the angel of death to go through the nation of Israel and because they have rejected me, all of the firstborn sons will die. However, if you take a hyssop branch and put blood on the door sills of your heart, uh, of the door, when the angel of death passes by and sees the blood, he will pass over your door and your firstborn sons will will live. And I want you to see something very important that the, that the Gentile would not have understood, and that's who Luke was writing to. He says, then the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. You see, if you were Jewish, you understood what that meant. God had designed a way in the Old Testament to atone for the sins of the people through sacrifice. And they would go into the temple... They would bring an unblemished lamb, the best of their lambs. We lived in the Bahamas for about five years, and we had a sheep, a ewe, that gave birth to twins. She rejected one of the twins, and it ended up living in my home. Now, it was hilarious because lambs have hooves, and we had tile floors. So it looked like it was breakdancing every time it was crossing across the, the floor. We named this lamb Lambco. Uh, Lambo, sorry, Lambo. Not for after Rambo, but Lambo. <laughs> we went away on vacation and we left this lamb in the care. Now, this lamb, my daughter Selah, she would take a bottle, she nursed, the, uh, would give the um, lamb the bottle, she would wake up every four hours through the night, and she took care of little Lambo as best as she could. This was honestly, Selah had a little lamb, Selah had a little lamb. <laughs> Wherever Selah went, the lamb was sure to go. I mean, this was watching Mary had a little lamb in live action. 
we went on vacation and we allowed Lambo to stay with someone and we got a call. According to my daughter, Lambo went home to be with Jesus. Now, I don't know theologically where you stand. But as far as my daughter is concerned at that time, if Jesus can be called the Lamb of God, then Lambo is standing right next to him. It was devastating. And can you imagine a child and his father walking up to the temple with this precious little lamb that they have tended and cared for and offering it as a death sacrifice to atone for their sins. You see, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Let me explain why. When Adam and Eve sinned, sin came into the world. Well, when sin came into the world, it brought something else. It brought death. So sin comes in as well as death, and death had to be conquered by someone dying. Someone has to pay the price of sin. And the only way that death could be conquered is if someone dies and then raises from the dead. And the only person that could do that has got to have the power of God. It's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus on the scene in the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Imagine how precious... God the Father's Lamb was in offering His Son, His only Son. Jesus knew He had come for this very purpose. He came to die for the sins of the world and to pay the price. And in John chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus makes it very clear, My soul is troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. No matter how Jesus felt about the word of God, he was going to live by the word of God. His faith was not based in feelings. Because if it was up to me, at the first whip, I would have called out to God the Father. Let's think of a different way. How many of you would have said the same thing? Those of you that haven't raised your hands, we'll see you afterwards. (laughs) He was going to accomplish God's will. And Christ is going to be sacrificed at 9 o'clock in the morning on Friday. He was going to be crucified. His death prepares the way for us to have access into heaven. It's why Luke would write, he must be killed. He had to pay the price of our sin because sin had entered the world. And now that he's conquered death, he's got the keys to death and to Hades. And anyone who's got the keys is the owner. We just got a new house in San Pedro. When I got the keys, guess what? I walked in with my chest high. I own this baby. This one belongs to me. Well, actually, me and Fremont Bank. (laughs) He owns death. But if you want to be with him, 
You have to prepare here for there. That's the title of our message. You've got to prepare here for there. It's called salvation. And the heart of the person who's saved, they're going to be preparing themselves their whole life to get to heaven. It's called sanctification. Because Jesus gave his life for me, I'm going to give my life to him in return. So in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, verse 8, he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. Jesus wants to eat the Passover meal with his disciples. It's called the Last Supper. This would be the Last Supper before his execution. So he sent Peter and John to go and prepare. Now maybe those are two words you want to underline in your Bible, sent and go. Those are two very powerful words for believers, sent and go. And the Bible speaks of another supper that the Lord wants to have with us. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And in a servant, in a story, he tells a story in Luke 14 where he sends his servants out into the highways and the byways to get anyone who would come. That's you. And that's me. We're the anyone that would come. And he says to the servant, go back out. I want my house filled. It's why Jesus' hands was stretched out in the cross. Because these arms say, come to me. My grandchildren are here. I'm so excited about it. And, oh yeah. <laughs> there's, the mother, there's the mother of those incredible children. And they were in the back of the hallway over here. And when I said like this, I go, Naomi, she comes running towards me. Do you know what I did? I went like this. <laughs> no way. I stretched out my hands and I put them out because I want her to know you are welcomed. You are loved. You are special. It's the message of the stretched out arms of Jesus on the cross. He wants everyone to be at this marriage supper of the Lamb. He wants everyone to believe on him. And this dinner, let me tell you about our Thanksgiving. Zach and I, Pastor Zach, we plan it weeks out. I mean, we talk about the mashed potatoes. We talk about the green bean casserole. We talk about, well, for, I start with desserts because I believe Thanksgiving dinner should start with dessert, then you go into turkey, and then you have dessert. It should be like an Oreo cookie. Dessert, real food, and then dessert again. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Now, <laughs> some of you want to come to my house because you're way too healthy, okay? Not at Thanksgiving. You want to roll from the table. It's my goal, okay? Roll from the table. We spend weeks preparing for Thanksgiving dinner. And then we tell our wives, okay, here's what we're thinking that we would love to have. Some Thanksgiving it works, and some Thanksgivings it doesn't. But if you enjoy Thanksgiving, let me tell you something. The food in heaven is heavenly. And God has taken the time to prepare it. And if you think dessert is good here, I can't imagine anything better than chocolate cake. But I'm sure there's something better than it in heaven. 
And he wants every one of us. And he says, I'm going to prepare that place. And it's why Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father sent me, so I send you. It's our job to go out into the world and to preach the gospel. As Peter and John were sent and then they went, we've got to remember that the very very word in the message of the gospel is go. Go is in gospel because that's the disciples' responsibility by the Lord Jesus Christ to go into all the world and we are sent in the same way that Jesus was sent of the Father. Take a look at what the disciples asked in verse 9. So they said to him, where do you want us to prepare that? That's a great question, and I'm going to answer it for you. We got to prepare here to go there. If you want to go there, you've got to be saved. There is no other way to get to heaven. And no matter what the world preaches, that there are many ways to heaven, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to get to the Father except through me. Now, that's not an exclusive message. It's an invitation for everyone to come to Christ. But if we're going to prepare here to go there, it's not just about salvation. It's also about sanctification. We've got to become more and more like Jesus. If you're a basketball player, you find your basketball hero and you purpose to watch video so that you can make the layups that they make. In the same way, We've got a video of Jesus Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as believers, our passion and desire is to watch every play so that we can mimic his way on earth. And the good thing is, Jesus doesn't leave us guessing on how to prepare here to go there. There's three things I want you to write down. The first, it's Luke chapter 22, verse 10. And he said to them, behold... When you've, entered the, when you've entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. If you're taking note, I want you to write it down. To prepare here to go there, you've got to take a faithful step. You've got to take a faithful step. Now, I'm thinking the same thing that you are when I read verse 10. Are you serious? A man with a jar on his head? Like, Jesus, you want me to go into the town, find a man with his jar in his head, and follow him to his house. Let me tell you something. If I'm one of the disciples, this requires faith. It's the same kind of faith it takes to believe in the gospel. And when I tell you the story that Jesus Christ was dead, buried, and rose from the grave three days later. It takes a step of faith to believe it. I can prove it to you. I can give you the science. I can give you the theory. I can give you the history. But until the Holy Spirit moves in your heart, you've got to take a step of faith. Because the Bible is foolish to the world. I'll never forget. I was living in Montana, and every year they have what they call a furniture race on the last day of, East, of, of, of ski season. And you put like a couch on skis, you come down the mountain, and there's a stick on the bottom of the mountain, and the person that gets closest to it is the winner. 
So I decided, and it is a drunken fest, is what it is. So no one cares about the stick. I mean, they just come down, okay, there it is, and just run right past it. They don't care. They're coming down the mountain on a couch. Well, I really believe this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So I said, let's go witness at the furniture race. So we came up with a great idea. We put a table on skis. I was Jesus. I had 12 disciples, and we did the Last Supper coming down the mountain. On the front of our table was remember Jesus this Easter. We won. We were front page in the paper. Here I am. I'm doing this thing, coming down the mountain. I'm doing like full-on Catholic Jesus, right? I'm coming down the mountain. We come and you see, remember Jesus this Easter on the front page of the paper. The pastors in the area were very mad at me. I can't believe that you went to that drunken festival. They actually shunned me. A year later, I'm sitting in the pastor's meeting because I don't care what you think of me. A year later, I'm standing, I'm at the pastor's meeting and I kept going. Whether they liked me or not, I showed up. And the Lutheran pastor of the area, he stood up and he said, I need to apologize to Chet. He said, all of us in this room have shunned him because of an event that he was a part of and we didn't feel that he should have been. And a man walked up to me in my church just this past week, and he had left the church for years. And I asked him, why did you come back to church? And he said, Pastor, it's the craziest thing. I was drunk at the furniture race, and I saw Remember Jesus this Easter. I dropped on my knees and gave my life back to Jesus. When he said it, you know what I did? Boom! Another one for Jesus. The world, they look at it differently. And at this furniture race, I'll never forget, I walked up to one of the guys and there was this big old fish and he was coming down the skis in a big old fish. And he put this fish on skis and they were sitting inside this fish. So I walked up to him and I said, hey, this is Joan and the whale. And he looked at me and he goes, dude, My name's Eric, that's Josh, who's Jonah? (laughs) When you tell the world Jonah got swallowed by a fish, they look at you and go, are you kidding? When you tell them that three guys stood in a fire and they didn't even burn, they look at you and say, are you kidding? When you tell them that five million people crossed the Red Sea without getting a drop of water on them, they don't believe you. You've got to take a step of faith. Faith is how you believe in those things. You've got to take a step of faith. And so when I'm preaching you the gospel, all I can say, not the science, not the history, is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever would believe would not perish. But you can have eternal life. The first step of faith, it will lead to a journey of faith for you. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. And let me tell you what faith consists of. You see, faith consists of choosing to learn the word. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But not simply just simply hearing the word. We've got to put the word into action. We've got to be like James tells us, doers of the word of God. So as we learn the word, we live the word. That's the step of faith for a believer. Number one, you've got to take a faithful step. Number two, I want you to write it down. Look at Luke chapter 22, verse 11, as we continue. Luke chapter 22, verse 11. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Number two, write it down. You need to take a practical step. A practical step. In Romans chapter 10, listen carefully. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Jesus said to the disciples, he said this in verse 11, then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says, he gives them what to say. And in the same way, if you want to be saved today, the teacher has told us what to say. We believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, when I was growing up, My mom taught me a prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. It's a tragic prayer to teach a child. Every night I thought I was going to die. Every night. So finally, around nine years old, I looked at my mother and I said, what's a now I lay me? And she said, excuse me? I said, what's a now I lay me? Is it like a now or later? Like, she goes, no, no, no. It's not one word. Now I lay me. So I asked her, why do you have to speak like Yoda to talk to God? <laughs> That's not even normal language. When I remember growing up, we used to say the Lord's Prayer every single service. And I leaned over to my dad one time, died, and I said, why do we celebrate Halloween every, uh, every church service? He goes, what are you talking about? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I didn't know what a hallowed was. And sometimes we can pray and say things that we don't mean. That's why it's important for us not to say this like a platitude. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe. No, 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 no. Stop for just a minute in your faith. It's got to come from the heart. You've got to mean it with everything that you've got. And the way that we mean it when we get saved is there's a life that's displayed that's different. I don't know if you know this. My family is going to be here for Easter. We had to rent two houses just to home house all of us. There are nine children with spouses and grandchildren. My house is absolute chaos. I love it. (laughs) Problem is, I'm a clean freak, so I'm behind him, like every five seconds, cleaning after him. And I need to let you know something about two of my sons. They were child soldiers. I adopted them when they were eight and nine years old, me and my wife. And I'm not going to go into the things that they did as children. 
the things that they were forced to do. But when Emmanuel stands on this stage with me and Saturday stands on the other side of this stage and you see the smile of Jesus on their face, they have changed. They have confessed Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And I will never forget... I took Emmanuel with me to the American Psychiatric Association's National Convention in New York at the Kravitz Center. And they asked if I would speak on war-affected youth. And Emmanuel stood up at 16 years old, and they started pummeling him with questions. Well, you were a child soldier. You did this. You should be in jail. You probably have this symptom, and you have this symptom, and you have this symptom. And my son stood up, and when he stood up, I thought to myself, do you know he can kill you? Like... (laughs) with his finger. And he stood up and he put his chest out like this and at 16 years old, he looked at over 200 psychiatrists and he said this, I don't know if you will understand this, but I've been changed and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've got to take a practical step. And as believers, the teacher from verse 11, still wants to speak truth into your life. You see, Jesus has gone to this man prior to this event. And Jesus asked him, would you prepare a room for me and my disciples? And maybe he said something like, don't tell anyone about it. Would you just do this for me? And when Jesus sends them, he sends John and Peter, he says to them, just tell the guy the master wants the room. Because there's full expectation on Jesus' part that the man was going to do exactly what Jesus asked him to do. You see, the father asked Jesus to go to the cross. And no matter how he felt about it, even in the garden as he dropped sweat of blood, No matter he prayed, Father, let this cup pass. No matter what he was feeling inside of him, he chose to fulfill the word of God. And when Peter took the sword and he went to go cut off his head and he got the guy's ear, Jesus put the ear back on Malchus's head and said to Peter, this happens so that scripture will be fulfilled in my life. It's a practical step, making the decision that you are going to choose to fulfill Scripture in your life. It's a faithful step. It's a practical step. And the Apostle Paul, he directs us on what this step should look like. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I ask you to keep your finger there. Keep your finger also in Luke chapter 22. We'll be back to it. It's Ephesians chapter 4. Once again, Ephesians chapter 4, would you take a look with me at verse 17? Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. There's a practical step. There's change. You don't look like the world. In the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Who wants to be called ignorant and blind? And Paul is getting across the important understanding There should be a difference between believers and unbelievers because when our light shines as believers, it attracts others to Christ. And he goes on and he says in verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But... 
you. There's a difference in a believer. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have seen and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, those that believe in the cross... Those that believe that Jesus gave their life for him, the very inside of who you are, the Spirit of God, yearns to be like Christ. And so anything that doesn't look like Christ, you put it off. And then you learn something else, and you put that on. And then you learn it, and you put it off, and you learn something about Jesus, and you put him on. I'm putting off my old man. I'm putting on my new It's the practical step for the believer. Thirdly, it's Luke chapter 22. Go back there with me if you would. Luke's gospel, chapter 22. Luke's gospel, chapter 22. Verse 12. Then he will show you a large furnished upper room there Make ready. Number three, if you take a note, and I pray that you are, you got to take a spiritual step. You got to take a spiritual step. You see, once they took the first step, it led to the second step, and now the third. And for the unbeliever, the first step is to believe that the cross. His arms stretched out is the sign to you, you are welcomed. Oh, you don't know what I've done. His hands are still stretched. You are loved. You are special. The second step is that you confess your God, completely righteous, and I'm Chet, completely unrighteous. And there is no way for me to get to heaven unless I believe in you. The amazing thing about the disciples, they never would have gotten to the third step of meeting this man had they not taken the step of faith and a practical step of faith. They never would have gotten to the third step had they not taken step one and step two. But unfortunately, for the believers, so many people look at Christianity That's too difficult to do, so I don't even know if I can take the first step. I mean, in Christianity, there's so many do's and don'ts, right? Like, don't do this and do this, and I want to apologize. If any of you are in here and you don't know Christ, and Jesus has been presented to you as a system of legalistic rules, let me apologize for every Christian in the world. Because Jesus wants a relationship with you. And let me tell you, the Christians that are telling you that you got to do this and you got to, and don't do this, they're probably struggling it with themselves. Because all of us need the cross of Jesus Christ. None of us are perfect. None of us can be perfect. That's why there is a cross, so that we can believe in the perfect Jesus who paid the price for our imperfection. Amen? Amen. And you're not on your own. You're not on your own. 
Pastor, Jesus says to forgive, and I don't know if I can forgive that person. I know. I've been there. Pastor, Jesus says you've got to go the second mile. I don't know if I can go the second mile. Jesus, I definitely cannot turn the other cheek. I got an out for you with that one. Jesus said, when you get slapped on one cheek, turn the other cheek. So there's one, two. Entice them to slap you one more time, because Jesus doesn't give rules for the third one. I'm teasing. Now, some of you, that's the only thing you'll hear all night long. That's why Jesus died, because of We're all a bunch of sinners, and we come up with those ridiculous kind of plans to work ourselves into righteousness. Amen? Amen. Some of you are like, well, that's a great idea. I'm going to go home right now and tell my husband. (laughs) No, you're missing the point. Take a look a little bit closer at verse 12, if you would. Then he will show you a large, furnished upper room. Then he, he's the helper. The disciples weren't on their own to find this room. Jesus directed them to a person that would lead them to the exact place that we, they needed to go. And do you know that Jesus has given us a helper? His name is the Holy Spirit. You're not on your own. And when Jesus asks you to do something that you don't think you can do, all you have to do is say, Spirit of God, help me now. Amen. It closes in verse 13. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. How many of you are surprised by that? How many of you are actually surprised they found it exactly like Jesus said it would be? Of course they did. He's Jesus. He's gone ahead to prepare a way so that in that room that night, he could tell them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if you choose to believe, if you make that decision tonight, I guarantee you will find heaven exactly how Jesus told you that you would. He's gone ahead to prepare the place. And the way that he prepared it was on a cross on Golgotha. And he marched up that hill and he stretched out his hands because he wants you to know you're welcome, you're special, you're loved. And he took an eternity to plan the moment of the cross. But disciple... Those of you who believe, there are three verbs that I need you to see. You see, the disciples, John and Peter, so they went. They did exactly what God told them to do. And then they found. They discovered success when they did it the way that God told them to do it. They found it. So many people will sit in my office and they will say, Jesus isn't working for me. I had a couple sitting in my office and they were telling me they were about to get a divorce and God's way of marriage doesn't work. So I looked at the wife and I said, well, do you respect him? Him? Oh, never. Well, do you love her? Would you love her? There's your problem. 
when you try to do it your way, it will never work. But if you choose to do it God's way, you'll always find it the way that he said it will be. Always will find it. And then I want you to see what they did. They prepared. They got ready for the feast with the Lord. Believer, are you preparing? Are you preparing? Well, friends, there is nothing like preparing than doing the one thing that Jesus told us to do, to remember him. Because let me tell you what remember him does. For those of you that are a little off track, remember him gets you back on track. You remember he's graceful. You remember he's merciful. You remember he didn't give you a bunch of rules. He wanted to make a relationship. That's why he told the church in Ephesus, I got one thing against you. Get back to your first love. You know why we remember him? We remember him because every single one in here needs to know that without Jesus, you aren't going to heaven. Let that sit for a minute. And we're about to celebrate communion. And I need to warn you. Communion is for believers. Believers only. Now here's what that means. It's not excluding you. If you choose to remember him, communion's actually inviting you. Because as believers, we remember his broken body and his blood that was shed. And so our heart for you is not that you would take communion because everybody else is. Be careful because the Bible says you could be pronouncing judgment on yourself. But communion is an invitation. Good Friday is not a religious routine. Good Friday is a moment to remember. And more than anything, I want you to remember he's taken a long time to prepare a place for you because you're special. You're loved. You are welcomed. And you are accepted if you choose to believe. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we come before you now and we ask in Jesus' name you'd speak to our hearts. We need you now more than ever. In this day, we need you. And so, Lord, as we pray, we're praying for those that need to know you as their Savior and their Lord. Because the heart of communion is not to exclude, it's to invite. 
So believers, I want you to be in prayer right now. Because I believe that there are people here that don't know Jesus and don't know if they were to die on the way home tonight, if they would go to heaven. And what communion is for you tonight is not an opportunity to participate in a religious routine. It's an opportunity for you to come to Christ. And I know that there's some believers here where communion needs to be an opportunity for you to get back on track. So as Christians are praying, I want you to be part of communion with us. And I would love to lead you in a prayer. And then I'm going to have you be a part of us with communion. And then after communion, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Because Jesus called his disciples publicly. I believe he wants to call you. If you would like to accept Jesus Christ and know that you know that you are heaven bound tonight and communion is a reminder to you that Jesus died for you. If you're a believer and you've gotten off track, this is your opportunity to remember with a statement of faith, just a step of faith, a practical step, a spiritual step. And all I'm going to ask you to do, would you just raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, would you pray with me? You raise your hand. I see your hand. I see your hands. Yes. I see your hand. I see your hand. Spirit is moving. He's doing the same work that he did in the heart and the light. I see you, yeah. So church, I'm going to lead these, this group in a prayer. Because we want to glorify God together, I'm going to ask you, church, to say this prayer with them, to support them, to come around them, to let them know you're with them. Like, a, like Jesus is with them, you're with them as the body of Christ. And though it's my words, let it be your heart. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, forgive me. I believe that God raised you from the dead. And I want a relationship with you. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to get back on track. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.